I'm going to read you just a few verses this morning, not a whole chapter, from Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I want to share with you and read to you part of Corrie Ten Boom's testimony. Having spent some years in the prison camps in Germany. She writes this, each had something to forgive, whether it was a neighbor who had turned him into the na- turned him into the Nazi authorities or a vicious camp guard or brutal soldier. In mid-May 1945, the Allies marched into Holland to the unspeakable joy of the Dutch people. Despite the distractions of her work, Corrie was still restless and she desperately missed her beloved Betsy. But now she remembered Betsy's words that they must tell others what they had learned. Thus began more than three decades of travel around the world as a tramp for the Lord, as Corrie described herself. She told people her story of God's forgiveness of sins and of the need for people to forgive those who had harmed them. Corrie herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a Munich church. At the close of the service, a balding man in a grey overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corrie froze. She knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrook. One who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, she wrote. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, a fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? 
But I remembered him, the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. He said, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again be, uh, again needed to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly waiting for Corrie to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing that she ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before the former SS man, Corrie remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. Corrie thrust out her hand. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Corrie Ten Boom's testimony and story in her book is an amazing story of a person who suffered seriously at the hands of people. And she overcame hatred and bitterness when it would almost seem acceptable and may I say some, in some way justified that these emotions should be there. And yet here she is in this church speaking on forgiveness and then confronted with the very thing that she spoke on. To have to forgive. I want to tell you God does that every day with us. God promised to forgive us. God promised not only that he would forgive us but he would cleanse us from our sin and unrighteousness. And every day God does that for us. Even though our past history might say that we have treated him poorly, we have failed the commands of scripture, I want to tell you this morning, there is good news in the gospel. 
I want to tell you that. I want you to understand that. I want you to experience that. Because unless you truly experience the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus, you have no story, no testimony to tell anybody else. You can't. Because it is just an idea. In our vocabulary. But when you know that you've been a sinner, when you know you are a sinner and still sin, and yet you can confidently say, because of the grace and the mercy of God, I'm free. I want to tell you, you don't know that you've been born unless you know that. I will guarantee us all that if we were to all examine our lives this morning in this house, in this place, there wouldn't be one of us which would not be able at some point in our history see something that truthfully we wish had never happened, we wish we had never done, that sometimes even in our past we felt shame and guilt for things we said to people, things we might have done to people. And yet I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter how bad a sinner you feel you are. We're the only people who really make degrees of sin. God just sees sin as sin, period. You know, sin is the level of, I've said that already in the, in the talking around the book of Romans, I've already said sin is the great leveler. It's the thing that brings the rich person down and brings the poor person to the same level. Sin is the leveler for us all. There isn't one of us in here this morning who is not being a sinner but there may be people in different places in here this morning in regard to their sinfulness. Because you see, there will be some who have come to God, believed the gospel, have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. And given their sinful state over to God, never, ever, ever again to have it waved in front of their face. I find that absolutely amazing. No wonder when we hear verses like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Twice this morning that has been read. I've written it in my sermon for this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The book of Romans is basically teaching us that God is full of mercy, full of grace, full of love. He doesn't want anybody to be lost, anybody to be without knowing him. He wants to free us from the attempts that we make to be good and holy and wonderful and to get a sense of freedom in our lives that somehow our life has purpose and meaning he is not wanting us to pursue those things he simply wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us 
Romans 10 begins in that place for Paul where Paul is looking back over the verses that he's already, although he didn't write in verses, this was a letter, it's just for our, because we'd never find a place in the Bible without chapters and verses, would we? Uh, But in chapter 9 at the beginning, he's talked about being in anguish and in sorrow for his fellow kinsmen. He is a man, I want to say possessed, possessed with the Holy Spirit who has this overwhelming desire to overcome things so that all may know not just the Jewish nation but all may know the message of salvation he goes on at the beginning of 10 he talks about how all those things he says brothers my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved now he's talking about the Jews but he goes on then to say this he says you know bottom line this message is for everyone for Jew and for Gentile, for slave and for free man, for black person, for white person, for everybody, this message of salvation is for all. And yet we complicate it so much. We make salvation sound so often when we preach the gospel. We spend so much time telling people they're sinners when most of the time, most of us are only fully aware of our sinfulness and our failings before God. What is the thing that people will say to you when you try and engage them on the issue of faith and about why don't you come to, oh, I'm not good enough to come to church. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. You know, I'm a sinner. I've had that actually physically said to me. But God, I suppose for me, does not spend all his time really trying to persuade anybody except the religious of their state before him. But to the sinner, he simply says, come. You are welcome here. Come, you are welcome here. Paul's concern turns into prayer. And prayer is vital. Prayer is vital. I want to encourage you to come on a Tuesday evening at seven and join us in prayer. Prayer is vital. We live in a nation at this time where the Christian message is being constrained and continually compressed because there is less and less freedom of speech. You're not allowed to hold any opinion now except the opinion that we're told we're allowed to have. And therefore it becomes more and more difficult To even have a conversation, a simple conversation about faith in case you offend this group or that group. Jesus, if he was here, he would be saying, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. He would be saying, come and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Do you know so many people give their life to Christ and they take on a bigger burden once they become a Christian than before. And it isn't a bigger burden that 
God lays on them because it's a burden to pray. It's a burden of not being good enough because I can't meet the requirements that the group that I'm part of seem to suggest they want of me. You see, most of us want people to come in and get saved and we want them to change just like that. And the truth is, it takes a lifetime and we will only ever be perfect the day that the Lord returns or I die and I go and be with him. You won't ever see a perfect me until that moment. And you won't see a perfect you either. But Jesus says, come to me. Why was it sinners in the New Testament, in the Gospels, they loved to hang out with Jesus. They loved to hang out. He was invited to all the best parties. He was. They loved to hang out with him. It's true. Some of them took what they could get from Jesus and they walked away. The ten lepers shows that, doesn't it? Ten of them came, ten were healed, one came back. Well, that isn't my problem. You see, sometimes I make that my problem, the other nine. But it ain't my problem. My calling God was to preach. And I'm declaring to you this morning, the gospel is good news. It's alive, it lives. I don't care where you come from, what you've done. I really don't. You could be the worst sinner in the whole of Wales, in the whole of Somerset, in the whole of the UK. I don't care. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He wants you to have a relationship with him. You might think, ah, what have I got to take on and believe to do this? It says here in this scripture in Romans 10, quite simply this. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we can proclaim. Because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to go on a course. Course might help you understand later on, but you don't have to go on a course. I'm not against courses, by the way, but you don't have to go on a course that you do the obligatory 12 weeks. You ask all your questions and then you pray a prayer at the end or you go to the Holy Spirit, do in the middle of the thing. And I'm not against the course that does that. All right, I'm not. But you don't have to go on a course. The question I'd ask you this morning is, do you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? I think there's loads of evidence to support that. You know? And we could spend an hour or more going through reams and reams of evidence to show, you know, why would people go out, men who had run away when Christ had been crucified and they presumed him dead and he'd been put in a tomb, why would they all of a sudden change just like that and then go out and be willing to be thrown to lions, be willing to be killed, stoned and everything else? Why would they do that unless they had had an encounter with someone who was real? And we're not just talking about the odd one or two who've lost their mind and are a bit simple. We're talking about loads of people, loads of Christians died because they had an encounter with the living God. How come the man who persecuted the church the most had an encounter, this man here that I'm talking about, Paul, 
He was a persecutor of the church. He stood there while Stephen was stoned and probably rubbed his hands in glee because at that time he hated the Christian, the people who were Christians. In fact, the word Christian was a derogatory term. It wasn't even supposed to be a positive term. It was derogatory. Them Christians. And yet Paul has this encounter and he is changed transformed and he starts to preach the very gospel the very thing that he was opposed to there was an empty tomb they never produced a body they said Jesus swooned in the tomb he wasn't really dead when he came down he was just injured and they laid him in a tomb And then he revived and he got up and walked out. Well, that would have been difficult because there's a flipping big stone in the way. And the thing had been shut and there were guards outside and the guards wouldn't have let him get very far. So when you take all those things into account and the fact that the guards got paid off in order to say other things, bottom line is I think there's quite a lot of compelling evidence that Jesus raised from the dead. And Jesus is as real today. We might not physically see him in person. But I want to tell you, God makes himself known. He makes himself known. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? And secondly, although I'm reversing it from what the Bible says, are you willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? In other words... Are you willing to give up control of your own life? And are you willing to surrender to follow Jesus and allow God through the Holy Spirit to transform you and conform you into the image of his son Jesus? That's what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's not a simple just make a statement but am I open to allow him to be my master? Not my mate, my master. There is a difference. I do believe Jesus, it says, he is the firstborn among many brothers. And that we are family. When you become a Christian, when you you take... uh, You put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he achieved on the cross, shedding his blood that our sins might be forgiven. And you believe that he was raised from the dead. I want to tell you, we become part of the family of God. God gives us an invitation to be not just some part of an organization called Christianity. He invites us into the family the family. And that's why you've got a bunch of oddities in this place who would never ever be together except through Christ. There would be those of you in this room I could almost be guaranteed that would reject me if it was left to your natural ability. Because I would make sure that you reject me just by being who I am. You see, we wouldn't necessarily choose one another, would we? Look around the room at people here this morning. 
truthfully, would you choose always to be with these people? Maybe you don't even seem, other than the fact that you believe in Jesus, maybe you have nothing in common with anybody else in this room. Nothing. But the thing that draws us together as family is now we have the same dad, the same father. We have been made children of the living God. We've been adopted into his family. And blood is thicker than water. Although I have to confess, sometimes church fails on that a little. Because we've still got our sinful nature. I really want you to understand that there's this phrase in here that I read yesterday that blew my head apart for a while. I've got to find it now. Where is it? Did it do? And did Oh no, here it is. I've got it. It says this for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Hear that. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you know the law of God was the passion of the majority of Jews, I would say. They tried their best to keep every law. In fact, we know that because Paul says of himself, you know, basically, according to the law, faultless, he said about himself. And yet he still had no freedom. When Christ died, and Christ came and then he died on a cross for us and was buried and rose from the dead, I tell you now, it's not about keeping a set of rules and regulations in order to be acceptable to God. It's none of those things. It is simply being willing to accept a gift of acceptance, love, mercy, grace and saying do you know what I believe that God raised you from the dead and I'm going to confess with my mouth that you are my Lord why did I start this I had 30 minutes at 11.17 so I've got 4 minutes 15 seconds to go Don't time me. The reason I share this message with you this morning about that is because it is in the context of Paul speaking about how people are going to come to Christ. How, he asks, when we read that passage, how will people... How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. My feet are beautiful this morning. Are yours? That's my question. You see, I don't know if we've got the kahunas to be honest this morning. If I was to ask you to all stand up and then what, and I just said, how many of you have shared the gospel in the last 24 hours? Sit down. The last two days, four days, week, month, year, two years, three years, five years, ten years. I wonder how far back I would get with people still standing on their feet if we were willing to be that honest. I know I'm a vicar, or supposed to be anyway. Um, and so it's my, you can look at me and say, it's your job, pal. That's what you're here for. But the reality is the call to share the good news isn't just the vicar's or the elders, or the ministry leaders of the children's work, or whatever other work there is. It's, it's not down to those who are appointed to places. It's down to every one of us. Paul is moved. And I want to ask you, moved to pray. How moved are we to pray for our family who don't know Jesus? How moved are we to pray for our neighbours who don't know Jesus? How moved are we moved to pray about our work colleagues, our friends, the person I see in the street, the person sat in a doorway with a hat asking for money, the person who is homeless? Or are we like that um, parable of the Good Samaritan where the vicar walks by on the other side of the road and it's the Samaritan, the one who was never expected who actually binds up the wounds. I do not want to be guilt-inducing this morning. That is not the purpose of what I'm sharing with you but I want to do something this morning which is slightly different As I come to a close, I am going to take the words of that passage of Scripture and I'm going to say, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? When you tell them. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? They can't unless you tell them. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, I want you to understand something here. You might go, that's my get-out clause. I am not a preacher. But that word simply means to proclaim, to tell a story of good news. That's what it means. It's not about sitting here or standing up at the front and preaching and being the focus of the morning for 30 minutes or so. 
What it means is simply this. Who is going to tell somebody the good news? When we do it. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Then there you see, get out clause again. I haven't been sent. Well, you're going to be this morning. So you've no longer got a get out clause. For those of you who know Jesus this morning, and you are part of his family, you're a child of God, I am going to be saying to you as I stand and pray in just a few moments, I'm going to be commissioning you to go out and share the message of the good news of Jesus with your family, with your friends, with your neighbours, with your work colleagues, in fact, whoever you come across. Now that doesn't mean you've got to become an oddity, all right? But what you will need is you must have an encounter with Jesus which makes your life different. That you have actually got something you want to share with people. Because in all honesty, instead of looking at how bad you are, why don't you look at what God's done for you and then just share that? Why not go into work tomorrow? And when your work colleague said, oh, what did you do over the weekend? He said, Instead of avoiding it and talking about watching the football or whatever it happens to be, I went down Argyle or to Portsmouth or to Norwich or wherever it is we go. We would love to go and watch football. All right. What, what would you say to that? We would avoid it, wouldn't we, when we were asked that? What did you do over the weekend? The last thing we want to tell people most of the time is, oh, actually, I was in church on Sunday morning. I had a really good time. God was there. If you do that, you might get a strange response. It might be, really? And do you know how to answer that? You turn around to them and say, why don't you go to church? Start a conversation. It's not hard. It genuinely is not hard. It is if you become an oddity. All right? And you've got to really like people. Do you know what I mean? You've got to like people. You can't, you, they can't just be your salvation scalp that you're praying for, right? Because what if they take 10 years to get saved? Are you going to do it for a week or two and then give up because you think you failed? Or are you going to make a genuine connection with somebody, people that you like? We don't even, I mean, don't get me wrong, God wants everybody to be saved, so tell as many as you like. But the reality is, think about all the people you already know and are friends with and close to and all the rest of it. Really, that would take us a lifetime. If we all did that, you never know, the church might double in a year. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, would be absolutely, would be fantastic, not just amazing. I'll be falling off my seat. We've got to learn to tell about Jesus. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to do two things. In fact, before you stand, I'm going to do two things. Let's pray. I'm going to ask, I've told you what the gospel is this morning. Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? If you don't, you're going to have to get there if you want to be a Christian. A follower of Jesus. Are you willing to confess with your mouth openly because the mouth isn't silent, all right? It's verbal. Are you willing to confess Jesus as Lord? And I don't mean just standing there and you say, I confess that Jesus is my Lord. 
Are you willing to say it and then live it? Because I will tell you this, Jesus accepts us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He wants us to really have his hallmarks and stamped in our life. But not through the obedience of regulations, through a loving father who just gives advice and points you in the right direction. And when you fall down, we'll be there, we'll pick you up and set you on the mark again and away you go again. And you stumble and fall just like a toddler learns to walk. So let's pray. And the first thing I'm going to ask is, don't look at me now. You should be, if you can just go with it, bow your head, shut your eyes. But I am going to continue talking for a moment. It would be wrong of me having talked about the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that he shed his blood, that we might know forgiveness of sins and cleansing from all the things in our life that have been wrong and the things we've done wrong. The fact that he was buried because he died and he rose again from the dead showing God's acceptance of his sacrifice. It would be wrong of me to leave this place this morning without giving people an opportunity to come to know him personally. So nobody is looking around. I'm the only one who's got my eyes open. And I'm going to ask you, if that's you this morning and you want to start a fresh relationship with God, a new relationship with God today, I just want you to do something simple. I want you just to indicate by putting your hand up and I'll see it, I'll say, I see you, and you can put it down. And now I just want you to stand, all right? All of us, just stand. My prayer for us all today is simple. And I'm going to commission you to go and share the love of Jesus and the word of Jesus. Jesus said this of himself, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim, to go and tell the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty, that's freedom, to captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. We are living in a year of the Lord's favour because there is opportunity for people still to know him. And therefore I am commissioning you, I am sending you when you leave this place today to go and fulfil that. Every day of your life and my life to the best of our ability. And because you miss it, it's not like dieting. You might have an opportunity that you missed. I missed one the other day. It doesn't mean then you give up the diet, does it? When you miss it, you break it for one moment. You just get back on again and away you go. And so I am sending you. And I am asking now that the Lord will send his Holy Spirit to give you a fresh anointing of his Holy Spirit that as you go, you will find divine appointments, people who are willing to engage and listen and that you might know the joy of leading someone to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Take your seats just for a moment.
I don't have this. I, w- I wanted to try and get these three questions on a card for you, but I didn't think about that regularly. Number one, who are you praying for? Ask one another that question regularly. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for that they might know Jesus? Number two, who have you shown Jesus to recently? Note the word, who have you shown Jesus to recently? That means there's an action involved there. Maybe somebody's lost it with you. And you showing Jesus to them is not reacting. Maybe it's you've had a neighbour who's not well and you've gone round and just offered, is there anything you need? Can I get some shopping for you? You're showing Jesus in an act because you're showing love and care and compassion and concern. And then finally, and it's probably the most challenging for most of us, who have you shared Jesus with recently? Actually talk to about Jesus. Now we could all go next door for a coffee in a moment and talk to one another about Jesus and then we can go, when did you do it? Oh, today. But you will have just avoided the issue, all right? Who have you shared Jesus with? Who have you prayed for, then demonstrated something, and then just simply talked to? And I want to encourage you to ask. You ask me those questions. I'll ask you, maybe, those questions. Ask one another those questions, because it will keep us at least on our toes. But be honest with your answers. There's no point in faking it and making out that, oh, yeah, I've had 25 conversations when you haven't had one, you know? Um, But be honest with one another. Say, and if you you haven't and somebody asks you, say, John, if you ask me and I say no, I say, John, will you pray for me that I get a bit of courage for this? That is the simplicity. The gospel is simple. And I want to encourage you. If we will do this, we will see different people come to know Jesus because there are people out there who are desperate to hear. Desperate to hear. Amen. There was an announcement that I wanted to give. 